0: Please do sit. Well, let me add my own welcome to that of uh, Gareth earlier in the service. It's uh, uh, good to see you here and uh, encourage you uh, to do two things. One is to uh, take up your Bible, and uh, we're on page 1067. And the other thing is, if you like to do these things, to grab hold of the um, sermon outline that's been tucked inside your service order, um, and that will help you to see where we're going in the next few moments. We are looking at uh, John chapter 4. This is the third in a series of looking through this chapter, uh, particularly as we head towards not so much this service Sunday, service-service, uh, but uh, the uh, Passion for Life mission, which um, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you've heard about, and we will go on uh, speaking to you about it as we head into this new year. At uh, one moment, one encounter can change the whole direction of a life forever. This book is a brilliant demonstration of that. I wonder if you've read it. Uh, Stephen Lungu, it's called Out of the Black Shadows. Stephen Lungu was a terrorist, part of a, a terrorist group called the Black Shadows. And it's a, a, an amazing book. It's a real page-turner. As uh, we read that uh, this guy, Stephen Lungu, was uh, converted to Christ at the very meeting he intended to blow up. It is remarkable. Um, It's uh, uh, really very moving when you come to the moment where he's gone into this tent meeting and is uh, thinking about blowing it up when he hears the preacher preaching and suddenly gets uh, transformed by hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ and how the Lord loves him. And rather than blowing the place up, he walks forward and commits his life to the Lord Jesus. He'd been abandoned by his parents, unloved and bitter. Uh, Stephen Lungu was totally transformed by the love of the Lord Jesus for him. Changed forever when he met the God who loved him despite what he was. The God who loved him unconditionally. See, the Gospel can do that. There are people here this morning, here in this this room, whose lives uh, equally have been completely turned around. No, you weren't a terrorist, you weren't a drug dealer, you weren't a really bad person, you weren't even a dentist. But... Sorry to Gareth and other dentists here. Remarkably, one moment changed your life. In the past 20 years or so of pastoral ministry, I've seen it happen again and again. A life changed through one meeting. That is what we're going to see here in John chapter 4, page 1067. We began to think about it last week. This Samaritan woman was completely transformed as she met Jesus at the well at Sychar. What a transformation it was. See, at the beginning of this encounter, she was spiritually indifferent. She wasn't thinking about spiritual things at all. She'd gone to fetch water from a well. She was simply going about her normal daily routine. This is purely conjecture, but I imagine that as she was walking there, she was thinking about her daily chores, the washing, the cooking, the cleaning that had to be done once she'd collected the water. This begins then with her quite spiritually indifferent, but by the end of the conversation with Jesus Uh, water and her daily chores were the last thing on her mind. She was so excited that she'd met Jesus. Verse 28, she left her water jar, rushed into town and said to the people in verse 29, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? It is that last comment, could this be the Christ, which goes right to the heart of this woman's transformation. She, She was transformed because she understood who Jesus is. At the beginning of her meeting with Jesus she saw him as no more than a Jewish man as as I put on the the handout here Mr. Jewish Man, verse 9 But look how that changes as the conversation develops In verse 15 she calls him Sir In verse 19 she calls him a prophet By verse 29 she is suggesting to the whole town that Jesus is the Christ God's King in God's world It is a remarkable transformation Has it happened to you? It's happened to me I wasn't in one conversation, but over time I went from knowing that Jesus existed to believing that he was someone special to grasping that he was God. And not only that, but he was able to meet my deepest need. He was the Christ, the one who could... Or well, the one who could give me the, the very thing that I lived, that I wanted to live for. This living water that we were thinking about last time. The one who was to give me forgiveness, even though I'd lived all my life without him. The one who could give me meaning in life. The one who had the very answer to the problem of death. I know many people here, uh, hundreds of us as part of this church family, have had a similar encounter with Jesus. And once you've dis- discovered that, that, that truth about him and about yourself, you want everyone to know, don't you? Of course you do. There's nothing better, is there? He is what life is all about. As we were considering last week, he is the one who can quench our thirst in life. Now this week, as we begin to look at this encounter with Jesus and, uh, and this woman, we'll see how this transformation came about. And I put four things on this uh, uh, handout. There, there may be more, I put four, that I uh, have seen in my preparation. Uh, firstly, do you notice uh, Jesus gets her alone, verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Jesus would never have had this conversation that follows had this woman not been on her own, had others been around with her. You see, verse 8, Jesus had sent the disciples off into town to buy food, so Jesus was on his own, and this woman was alone, so uh, when she came to the well, she came on her own. She was alone, you see, because she'd messed up in life. Drawing water in the middle of the day, verse 6, in the sixth hour at the, the heat of the day at noon, drawing water in the middle of the day was most unusual. And the, woman of the, the women of the town would normally go together to the well first thing in the morning. This woman went alone in the heat of the day because she was a social outsider. No one wanted to go with her. Now we saw last week from verse 18 that she had a string of husbands and she was now living with a man who was not a husband We easily forget, don't we, how shocking that was. These days, it's nothing for people to be living together, but it wasn't so long ago in this country that to be uh, living with someone uh, outside of wedlock would have been described as living in sin. I think it's an unhelpful phrase for all sorts of reasons, but that's how it used to be described. But uh, only 25 or 30 years ago, you see, living with someone without being married was socially unacceptable here in Britain. Of course, it was even more socially unacceptable in the Near East, in the first century now this woman was alone because she'd messed up in life and here's the crucial point Jesus used her mistakes to get her alone look isn't this the case when you're reasonably successful you you have loads of people around you you're busy, you're happy you don't ask the big questions of life then do you? I think it's two occasions when we really ask the questions of life. Either when we've made it, which probably most of us don't feel we have. When we've made it, we, we, we reach this point and we think, I've made it and, and I've still got, what's life about? And most of us who, who haven't made it, we, we keep thinking, oh, that perhaps there's, there, when I reach this thing, then I'll be happy. And then I'll find out what life is about. So we just go on, normally. The other time you ask questions is when life falls apart when everything's gone pear-shaped. Now, perhaps you know someone just like this. Perhaps that is you here today. Your life has fallen apart. Well, look, without wanting to make light of your troubles, and I really don't want to, be sure of this, hardships can be used for our benefit in the hands of the Lord Jesus. As everything around us is stripped away, it can be the very time, perhaps the only time, when we finally engage with Jesus, when we realise that the things around us don't deliver, they don't quench our thirst. When we're alone, we are far more open to talking to Jesus about the things that really matter, aren't we? In the summer of 1990, I went to New York City in Manhattan and worked with drug addicts and homeless people. It was a remarkable experience. I felt very alone when I arrived, actually, uh, and then I met a man called Big James. We went to this, uh, this sort of centre. I stayed there for, for ten weeks and I was in this centre working with drug addicts and Big James was there. Uh, he, was, uh, he, was, he was a really big... I mean, everybody's big compared to me, but he was really big. And a uh, big black guy. Hands, huge great hands. Played the piano brilliantly. Got to know him. Uh, he was a session musician, or had been. Brilliant musician. And uh, went the way of so many other... Uh, musicians uh, started taking drugs the drugs got a hold. he couldn't keep his job down lost his job without the job which was pretty well paid he now didn't have any money coming in still had the drug habit turned to theft and it got bigger and bigger more and more in trouble downhill he went more drugs more theft and he said this i was at rock bottom and then i fell further i was desperate and alone it was only then that i was ready to think about jesus See, Jesus gets us alone. It's why death is such a leveller. We have to face death alone. Oh, you, know, you, you, you might have somebody sitting by the bedside. Terrific. But basically you're alone in, in death. We can have all the money in the world, all the luxuries of this life. We can have achieved great things in our career, in sport, in our family, but none of those things help us in death. Facing death is just you and Jesus. That's why death is often the time when people will will finally engage with Jesus. Don't get me wrong, I don't think there's hundreds and hundreds of deathbed conversions. I mean, I have encountered a couple of those uh, down through the years, but it doesn't doesn't happen all the time. But it is sometimes the only time when people will suddenly realise that they need to talk to Jesus. Because everything else is stripped away. Jesus gets us alone. At a more uh, superficial level, I think we do well to remember this when we're speaking to people in everyday situations. I wonder if you've noticed this thing about being alone. Uh, When I'm with my unbelieving friends, they are far more ready to talk to me about the big issues of life when it's just me and them, just the two of us. When we're in a group, they are far less ready to engage in a serious spiritual conversations sometimes we have those conversations where we chat for a while but, but in the group it doesn't really go very far but uh, all it needs is you know those sort of situations when you're in a group and, uh, and then everyone else is suddenly talking about something else the, the weather or the sport or something and then, and then suddenly you find yourself talking you're in a group but it's just the two of you now and when that happens this has happened to you when that happens with me my friends are far more ready to engage with, with the big questions of life they often ask me why I'm a vicar why I believe what I believe When we're alone, you see. Jesus got this woman alone. Secondly, notice he got her intellectual interest. Just see how this conversation goes. It's remarkable. Look at Jesus' opening statement. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? And then look what he says in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Isn't that an intriguing statement from Jesus? I'm so different from the way that I often approach conversations. You know, somebody shows the slightest interest in talking about Christian things. I feel I've got to go and tell them that what I would call the whole gospel. Do two ways to live with them, there and then. Jesus doesn't do that. Drops in intriguing comments. It's a bit like fishing. He, he puts some bait on the end of the line and see if anyone bites. Uh, uh, Randy Newman uh, wrote a book uh, called Questioning Evangelism. I was, uh, this, this name, Randy Newman, rings bells. I reckon he was a singer-songwriter, but this isn't the same one as far as I know. I can't remember what Randy Newman used to sing. But anyway, this one wrote this book called Questioning Evangelism. It's a good book. In this book, he, he demonstrates how Jesus often asks questions rather than answering them. And people ask, a question? he asks them a, a question back. And uh, it's a, a skill that I'm, I'm trying to learn. Um, Jesus does it brilliantly. It's a great, great thing to develop. See, don't underestimate the power of a searching question. Now, ask a penetrating question and then leave it with people. Now, indeed, I think that's what we've got to do more and more. Try and, run and Try and get everything into every one conversation. When we've got... Friendships, we can drop things in, ask the question, and then as the conversation ends and as you go your separate way, pray that the Holy Spirit would take that question deep into your friend's lives and cause them to grapple with it. And does that happen to you? I often turn over conversations I've like had. Do you do that? You just had a conversation and you're walking away, and later on in the day and later on in the week, you turn it over again. Oh, God will do that with our conversations, won't He? We drop something in, ask the Holy Spirit to. Do something with what we've dropped in. So Jesus gets us alone. Second, he gets intellectual interest. And then third, uh, he gets personal. See, as Jesus spoke of the water that he offered and the the woman began to show interest, she said in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's interested, isn't she? She clearly doesn't understand everything. She's still talking about not having to come to this well for water. Jesus is talking about something quite different. She doesn't understand everything, but she is interested. And what does Jesus do at that point? Look at verse 16. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Do you see? Where did that come from? Jesus has been talking about living water, welling up to eternal life. The woman says, um, yeah, give me some of this water, I want it. And he says, go get your husband. And at that point, when you read it, you think, why does he suddenly change the subject? Of course he didn't. You see, until this point, this woman hadn't realised just how spiritual thirsty she is. And it's as if she says, I'm not thirsty, and Jesus says, oh yeah, go get your husband. Here's the point. Jesus shows us where we've already pinned our hopes He shows us where we're going to, day after day after day, to try and quench our thirst. In in verse 16, Jesus is saying to the woman, you deeply thirst for God, even if you don't realise it, you are deeply thirsting for God. Just look at your life. You are longing for acceptance and approval and love and relationships. He's getting very personal here, isn't he? You see, the truth is that, that everyone is trying to pin their hopes on something. Everyone is looking to something or someone to give them what they want. I don't know when this happens to you. In conversations that I have with, with people, sometimes after i 've chatted to them for a little while about Christian things, they say to me, "Oh, I wish I had your faith. Do they say that to you sometimes?" When they say that to me, I think they think that somehow I 've managed to muster up this thing inside me. I, I, there 's a little bit of faith. I mustered it up, and, and I 've worked really hard to go, oh, and now I 've got faith. Help me to believe. Jesus is saying something quite different here. You don't have to create saving faith. You just have to transfer it from where you've already put it. See what he's doing here? There is some place that you and I are drinking from. Something, somebody that we are pinning our hopes on. Everybody does it. For this woman, it was men. For you, I don't know. Career, appearance, acceptance, making a difference, money, wealth, status. I don't know what it is. Jesus, of course, does know what it is and he gets personal and shows us where we're trying to find meaning and to become a follower of his we have to see this other thing doesn't quench our thirst and we have to stop pinning our hopes on that thing and instead transfer our allegiance to Christ trust him to deliver us. See, everyone's trusting something. Becoming a Christian isn't about finding faith it's about transferring my trust from one thing to another, to Jesus. Now what this also tells us is that Jesus knows us inside out. He, he knows us better than we know ourselves. So he knows what makes us tick. Now that's why he said to this woman with this first conversation he'd ever had with her, go and get your husband. Later on she says, we'll see this next week. We, I met a man who told me everything I ever did. Jesus knew her inside out. He did the same with Nathaniel back in chapter 1. It's worth seeing, just to see how it's repeated a couple of times. Turn back to chapter 1, verse 47. You remember this encounter with Nathaniel? Again, it's remarkable to read. John chapter one, verse forty seven When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Nathaniel obviously heard Jesus say that. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Isn't that amazing? It's remarkable. Jesus knew everything about Nathaniel. He says here's a man who's got true faith. And Nathaniel says, how did you know me? Oh, I saw you sitting in the, uh, under the fig tree. It's a remarkable comment, isn't it? Of course, the point is, Jesus is God. He knows what makes people tick. He knows everything about them just by looking at them. Before Jesus, there are no secrets. You can't hide anything. And so meeting him will get personal. That, of course, is why a lot of people don't want to meet him because it gets all very uncomfortable When somebody knows you inside out and back to front. Now obviously you and I can't do the same. We can't look into a soul and know their deepest longings never having met them before. Jesus can do that because he's God. But you know if you and I spend time with people when we really get to know people we can begin to understand what makes them tick can't we? when you really get to know them, I mean, think of your husband or your wife, think of, think of people you really know well, you know what they're pinning their hopes on no, we can't see their heart as Jesus can but when we get to know them, we can see what drives them, what they're, what they're after in life can't we? So look, if we're going to be any good at helping people understand these things, we need to spend more time with people well, a few of us in the staff were talking about this about ten days or so ago and, and it, was, it was Joe Houghton, the, the, the youth worker here, who who, who alerted me to this and, and he said, you know, we can't do what Jesus does but, but if we spend more time with people, if in, if in evangelism we'll actually make friendships with people, we'll begin to understand them a, a little more. We'll be able to see what they're after in life. I mean there's two great things about really spending time with people firstly they see us and they see our lives they see where we're drinking from and what satisfies us and hopefully they'll want some of that but the other thing is we'll see them and we'll see where they're trying to quench their spiritual thirst and if we're really good friends we can get personal with them without getting a punch on the nose we can confront them because uh, genuine friendships speak honestly with one another don't they I wonder actually, and and I think Joe Houghton has challenged me on this massively, I wonder if our feeling that we're not very good in evangelism stems from not having really genuine close friendships with people. Because we can never get to this point. Now do you see the stages in this woman's being transformed? Jesus got her alone, he aroused her intellectual interest, he he got personal and finally he revealed himself to her. Look at verse... um, uh, back to chapter, one, uh, chapter 4, verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus answered, I who speak to you am he. I am the Christ. Uh, ultimately, this is a spiritual work, do you see? Anyone to come to this point, uh, God must reveal himself to them. And that, of course, is why in this work of proclaiming the gospel, we need to be about prayer. It is a spiritual work. A good friend of mine said at a meeting here a few years ago, he said, um, do we not see people converted to Christ because we don't pray for them to be converted? And when he said that, I thought, that's exactly right for me. So I think there are two things that, uh, that I need to work on in evangelism, two things that um, I've been being challenged over the last year or so, really, and they both come out of this passage. I need to pray for people more, and I need to be a better friend to people. So as we head into Passion for Life mission, and this mission that's happening in March uh, that we'll be telling you more and more about as the year goes on, will you pray for your friends? Pray that God would reveal to them where they are looking to quench their thirst and reveal to them that it never really delivers. And also reveal himself to them. That they would see that he is the one who can give them satisfaction in life, who can quench their thirst. Well, let me, let me ask you, where are you? There are four stages in this remarkable transformation. I think there'll be some people here this morning who haven't yet turned to Christ. I'm sure there are. And you've begun to see this morning how Jesus is dealing with you. He's got you alone. Maybe you feel very alone for one reason or another. He's aroused your spiritual interest. Maybe that's why you're here. You're ready to read books and things. You're interested in talking about these things. And now maybe he's just started to get personal. That no, doesn't feel quite so comfortable. You're seeing that you're trying to quench your thirst in life in all sorts of other things. But those things just keep leaving you thirsty. It's like drinking salt water. It never, really, it never quenches your thirst. Well then why don't you turn to Christ? He's a wonderful saviour. He's a wonderful king. He's a wonderful friend. Why, why don't you turn to him? And if you still want to know more, come to Christianity Explored. It starts on the 26th of, uh, of this month, of January. Chance for you to meet with other people, eat a meal, no pressure, ask any question you like. No question is a bad question. Uh, people will be there to grapple with your questions, not with trite answers, with uh, trying to engage with these issues. Go along to Christianity Explored. In conclusion, let me say to, two things to those who are already committed Christians uh, when it comes to this task of evangelism. Very briefly, and I've put them on the bottom of the, uh, of the handout there. Firstly, God can transform a life today. See, as I look at this incident between Jesus and this woman, I'm hugely encouraged. One conversation changed her from being spiritually indifferent to following Christ. One conversation I think we need to believe that that can happen, that God can change a life today, that he can change a terrorist into a mighty evangelist. That's what happened with, uh, with Stephen Lungu. He goes all over the world now proclaiming Christ. He's been here. Gareth met him. God can change a life through this sermon, through this conversation, through this Bible study, through this chance meeting on a bus. He can do that. God is that powerful. I need to believe that, but I also need to believe, secondly, on here, that God normally transforms lives over time. See, for most people, becoming a follower of Christ happens gradually. It's a gradual thing through friendship, it happens by hearing many sermons after many conversations. I think we do well to believe both because if you don't believe the first if you don't believe that God can change a life today your individual conversations and your Bible studies don't have any bite or edge to them but let me tell you if you wake up tomorrow morning thinking God could change a life today through my life that will make it very exciting. See when I preach I believe the word of God is so powerful that it is able to completely transform people now today, this moment. And not only transforming unbelievers to become Christians, but transforming Christians to be fully sold out for Christ. Christian, you know those times when one sermon that you can remember from the past so impacted your life that it changed the way you thought and lived. Remember that? Not just you becoming a Christian, but as a Christian. Do you remember those times? As I preach, I believe the Word of God can do that. And that's what gives this moment edge and bite and excitement. But I have to believe the second too, you see, that it doesn't normally happen like that. Because if I don't believe the second point, then I will get depressed when this sermon or this Bible study or this conversation isn't instantly life-changing. Well, as we head towards a passion for life in March, then I am so excited. I'm excited that God will change lives through this mission in March. I'm excited to think that in years to come there will be people standing up here and saying, yeah, it all happened for me in March 2010. I came to Passion for Life. I met the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm excited that as we try to visit every home in the parish, some people will stand here in a few years' time and say, somebody knocked on my door. I'd never even been thinking about spiritual things. They knocked on my door and they asked me to watch a DVD and I watched it and it completely turned my life around. Do you believe that can happen? I do. It happened here, John chapter 4. I'm excited to think that others will come back to Jesus, people who, who've known Jesus in the past, and they're living in the parish, but they've just lost their way. They don't come to church anymore. They're not involved with Christian things anymore. But they do believe. They just need to get brought back in. That can happen through us knocking on doors, through us inviting people. John chapter 4 tells me Jesus can change any life in an instant even through a knock on a door. I wonder if you'll be part of that. See lives transformed, just as this woman's life was. Let's pray together. Now, Father, we thank you for the wonderful way that the Lord Jesus um, engaged with this woman a woman who everyone else had put on the shelf, Uh, a woman who uh, was a social outcast but loved deeply by yourself. We pray for the same compassion, the same love for people. We pray that you'd help us to be those who are good friends to others, sharing our lives with them and as they share their lives with us, being able to help them to see where they can find what they're looking for. And we pray that you'd help us not only in passion for life, but right through our whole lives, to be those who have a passion uh, to see others come to know you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.